I'm Professor Neil Feinstein, and this is Conversations with the Creators. Sponsored by St. John's Master's Program in Integrated Advertising Communications, ideas thrive here. Okay, today I'm talking to Ruxa's Chief Creative Officer, Lincoln Bjorkman. I see him so, <laughs> Right, I remember him. Um, so Lincoln's got, won a ton of awards. I mean, I don't think there's any CCO out there who doesn't have a, awards, but these are pretty impressive. Khan and Effie and Clio and IAB Mix, One Show and Webby, which is really the A-list of advertising awards. He's also a well-known international speaker and even holds a patent for digital UX work that he developed on behalf of American Express. So Lincoln has sterling credentials. But what makes Lincoln so interesting and why it's so important for you to hear what from him is because of his passion, passion for data. Now, CCOs tend to be right brain and data analysts tend to be left brain. But Lincoln is a bridge between the two. In, Lincoln, in Lincoln's opinion, it's not creative versus data. It's creative plus data. That's his superpower. So hello there, superpower man. How are you today, Lincoln? I, I, I'm squirming now. I don't feel smart enough suddenly. <laughs> um, but I, I, I appreciate that, that intro. And I really wish I was surrounded with some of my data colleagues right now because uh, they, yeah. they would make you look gifted. It does, but it is a village. I mean, not everybody in an agency can do everything. You really need, it is, it is a complete collaboration. It is the epitome of what collaboration can, can evoke. Is that true? It, it is. I mean, I, I, you, you cannot be successful in our business, I believe. Um, it is a business, but I'll speak from the creative side. If, if you want to be successful, if you want to be credentialed, if you want to win awards, if you want to do great things for your clients, um, if you want to do great work, you have to be a collaborative beast. And I'm sure we'll get to more of that as we talk, but you need to be open to everybody, not just other creatives, not just creative inputs, but data inputs, tech inputs, all those inputs, they are going to make you better. They're going to make you stronger and more creative and more successful. So, I, I mean, I think that's really important, um, but we're going to talk later on about the process. You know, strategists do all their research, provide you with incredible insight. So strategists, they give you their insights and they go in there and they say, okay, here you go, creative team. Here's this well thought out creative brief. Um, at what point does data come into that and how does it play a role to help you come up with the insight that you and your team to come up with the insights that make brilliant make for brilliant creative so i think what happens is data should in my mind data should be there first and foremost at the very beginning great strategists usually are you know freaking frack with their data colleagues as as i like to believe that i am meaning you're not you can get to a great insight from your gut it happens. And, you know, it's been a big part of our business for a long time. 
but the the problem or challenge with insights that come from just one person's gut or their brain is that you know i would argue your ego is driving it as much as anything else what data does is it gives you all these inputs and then allows all your talent and experience and you know from a strategist standpoint to say okay now i'm going to pull from that and you know i'll i'll use a miles davis thing that i love um, Miles Davis said, he was asked, you know, what's jazz? What's the essence of jazz? You know, well, why is it different? What makes it unique? And he said, you don't play what's there. You're not playing the notes on a page. You play what's not there. And then he said, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast, but, um, but he said, anybody can play. The note is 20%. It's the attitude of the motherfucker who plays it is 80%. And I say that because there's reams and reams and reams of data. It's not about the data that's there. It's not about that information. It's about what's not there. What do you pull from it? And that's the insight. That is the thing. You know, data is that key part, but what you really want are data experts and strategists and creatives who are thinking about it. And then they start to do what jazz does. They pull what's not there. I know when the sun rises and sets, I can know how many people are on a freeway at a given time, how many people take Ubers in, you know, in a city. That's, that's an observation. That is a data point. Insight is the next bit. And that, that's the key. And every creative out there or every person who wants to become a creative, one of the things you should always be looking for is a, a good brief, a great brief, great insight, but pushing back and saying, I see the observations, but you're giving me data. And that what that forces then is then the creative department has to sit there and say, okay, I've got to pull an insight out of this. And what you really want is data and uh, strategy and creative people all working to say, let's let's now let's pull an insight out of there. And the best strategists are geniuses at it. So let's let let me just get get academic because the primary audience for this is: Would you please define what is an observe, observation and what is an insight? And sure. then how, how I, I've always been fascinated by what I call the leap. How do you get from one to the other? So here, here's an example I use all the time. And um, an observation, if you have um, a companion, an animal in your home, a family, you know, a, a companion with an individual or group. Observation is I, I feed my companion at, you know, 8 a.m. I feed my companion at 5 p.m. Another observation is, oh, your, your times that you feed are not based on what a vet said. It's, not, it's based on you know, breakfast and dinner, but it's still observational. You're still telling me what people do, but the insight gets to be, well, why? Why, what are, how is it we are viewing this companion? And we've begun to you know, give them a role in the family. We are treating them like family. We are you know, having breakfast with them, having dinner with them. And that's not because we researched animals and said, that's what they like to do. That's how they want to do it. We have the insight is suddenly these, these animal companions are family members and there is an emotional and social and then, you know, anthropological thing that happens with these companions in our lives. And that's where you get into insight. So as a creative, you know, I appreciate the data points. I like to know, you know, what people do, how much they spend, disposable income they'll spend on these companions, et cetera, et cetera. 
But what I really want to get to is like, you know, what is driving that? What's the result of it? You know, and then I ask questions like, you know, is this companion the better for it? Or, you know, or, you know, for, so, so should we be going to, you know, to, a, to Petco or Purina or somebody and saying, you know, what vets say is, you know, you should be, you know, feeding your, your companion this way. If you really care, treat them like the companion, you know, like the, like the, the, the thing they are and feed them here. You know, you, you could differentiate yourself right away. Right. Um, but the difference is you have to feed off the input, but don't be confused. Don't be confused by observational data and true insights. A great insight, if you're in a client presentation, if you're, you know, want to understand it, you're, you're doing a presentation and those strategic setup slides, it's the Jerry Maguire. You want the client, you want people who are about to see your creative, you want them to say, you know, you had me at hello. I saw your strategy and I like, oh my gosh, I am feeding my companion breakfast and dinner. That's not based on scientific data of what's good for that animal. Maybe they shouldn't eat so late at dinner time because you know that's not good for their digestive tract. And so, so we start giving them some information, but then we get to the insight of, hey, well, let's be honest. And then by the time they get to the creative, they're like, oh, you had me at hello. You set me up in strategy. You hooked me right in through great data, but then you got to an insight and suddenly boom. And my favorite example, and you and I have talked about this, um, is Puma. Um, so for, if anyone is listening, there's a, you can find it on the internet. Puma did a great thing and you could tell it was a creative campaign ripped out of a brilliant insight. And the insight is Puma, not the brand you usually see on the pitch, on the field, you know, competing against Nike or Adidas. Puma is a very different kind of shoe and therefore a different audience. And you could tell they got to this idea of Puma, the shoe for the after hours athlete. And the minute I heard that, you can see the data. Someone went and said, you know, the people who are wearing Puma. They're not the ones running a marathon. I try, you know, da, da, da. these are the people who are, you know, throwing on their kicks. They're doing the pre-party at, you know, 11 p.m. Then they're going out at one. They're throwing darts at two. Then they're going to whatever at three. And then, you know, by the morning hours, they're in the alley carrying each other home. And these are the after hours athletes. That's, you know, that is a brilliant insight that comes from data. And then you put this great voice on it. You'll see the spot and you hear him say, Puma, you know, here's to you, the after hours athlete, the one who's out, you know, and da, da. and you can see all the creative and the exposition of this brilliant insight. But for a creative, that's a gift. Someone, I know someone said that in the brief said, well, these are after hours athletes. And I'm like, oh, you, we're done. Now we can make this stuff go. So I guess it's, if I, if I could boil it down and the thing that I'm going to take away and actually take into the classroom, the observation is what you see. The insight is the why behind the observation. The, yeah, uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's the why and it's the, you know, it's, it's, it's how, and it's, it's the, you know, even if you don't know why it's the feels. Some, you know, my, my, some of my creators will say, oh, it's the, all about the feels. And you hear this information, but like, what is it you feel? How do you feel about your companion? If how, you, know, you know how people feel about, about a dog or a cat. How do you feel about that? You know, and then, then you look at the data and say, well, right, the reason I feel that way. And then you get into issues of loneliness, companionship, you know, the childlike quality of animals, how you feel. You can get into all this and suddenly you realize it's not just about 
hey, 84% of people spend you know, more than $1,000 a year on their companion, da, da, da. But it's the feels. It's like, you can give me all this data, but the data doesn't represent how people feel. And that, of course, feelings drive the why. And, and, and so I agree with you, but that's where the creative bit comes in. It's so interesting to me because when you said the after hours athlete for Puma, I mean, cascading out, out of that was all of those emotions that you're talking about. It's, you know, it's how much fun am I having with my friends as we're playing darts together and we're, you know, we're going, we're going, you know, we're going out for munchies after we've been, you know, having fun to partying, you know, where, yeah. you know, we're, we're sitting on the beach at 3 a.m. I mean, the, the emotions that are just coming out of that are, are, are so vivid and so evocative that you can see, you can see how the, uh, the data point, the observation point led you there. And, and, that, and that's, you know, and that's the crux of it, right? So you get that data point that you're like, oh, wow. But then you get into, okay, how am I going to tell this authentic story? Because that's another thing about, you know, great storytelling is great authenticity. So the data can point you to, I might say, okay, you told me about these after hours athletes. I want to know, you know, I could say, oh, I know what it's going to be. It's, it's the munchies. It's the pre-party. It's the drinking. But, you know, again, that's what I think I know. That's my ego and my experience. I'm going to go to the data folks and say, we've talked about this audience and our media people and say, here's the audience that Puma is looking for. And we'll challenge them on it. But we want to know who we're talking to. But I'm going to say, what do these people do? And we can look at credit cards and Venmo transactions and different things and say, I might think that it's going to a bar, going to a, you know, a blah, 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 blah. And then the data might come out and say, here's the thing. It's not bars, it's food trucks and it's going to a beach and it's going to somebody's apartment. And I'm like, oh, but now imagine you're going to shoot a commercial or you're doing social media. Well, your photo shoot or your video shoot or whatever you're doing just changed. And that's the value to me of, I can get to an authentic story and I can make it look beautiful and get the language right. But it's really great to be able to pressure test it against what data can tell me about who I'm talking to. It makes me more authentic. So is data your litmus test? I found this incredible um, quote from Jordan Doucette from Leo Burnett, um, who said, using data to support our positions removes subjectivity and allows us to focus on delivering disruptive work. Now, I know disruptive has become... A cliche word every you know we disrupt every you know you go to every agency's website and they say we disrupt but the idea of work that gets you to stop like like you know even in its i don't know 20th year the dove campaign for real beauty still gets you to stop yeah well i mean you know d disruption you know 100 right that you know it's, it's a it's a popular word and a, and a right. righteous word um, you know, disruption is great. Um, but, you know, you, as you're thinking, you know, thinking about Dove Real Beauty or great campaigns, you know, now and in the past, you know, like a girl, um, you know, things that make you not only make you stop, but they make you think. And if done really well, they make you reconsider everything. You know, it's the Apple think different, right? So Dove Real Beauty, well, what is beauty? And what is real? And what body shape, body type, da, 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 da. All of this is so critical. I, I love to cook. And to me, I always find food analogies. So when you are preparing a meal, 
you salt at the beginning, you salt at the middle, you know, you so you're constantly salting to add flavor, not to, to enhance what's out there, not to overcome it, but to just take what's there and magnify it and amplify it. And you could almost say data is the salt. Data can be added at any point as a, as a way of, of establishing a foundation, as a way of testing a hypothesis, hypothesis, a hypothesis, <laughs> as a way of verifying point, points, as a way of, you know, your, your idea of, of um, your point that you made about, um, you know, these are the activities, student, you, people are not going to bars, people are going to people's homes and watching movies at night. These are all data points. So, or gaming or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or, you, know, you know, all whatever they're doing, but you know, the, so that it, so it's data is keeping you honest to, so that you can still be meaningful. And if, after all, if creative is not meaningful, then it's, go, it's not anything. What's interesting too, you talk about a analogy, right? So, you know, the ultimate data point is when you serve the food to your guests and they're like, you know, too salty or, you know, are they saying like, I like it, but it's too hot or not hot enough. And I think, you know, on behalf of my data college, like, we're not salt, we're the hot sauce. I mean, we're like, you know, we're, we're lighting this stuff up. Um, but, but, you know, it, 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 it is a very, I'll, I'll steal your analogy um, later today, I'm sure. But I think, I think the food thing is right because, you know, a good chef, you know, there's a recipe, right? You know, all the amounts and whatever, but really good chefs are like, eh, you know, I might maybe a little more of this and maybe not the way mom did it or dad did it, you know, and da 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 da. Or let me taste it as I'm going along to see and, what needs to change. <laughs> or, you know, or you walk into a kitchen where, and have you ever had someone grab you and say, hey, taste this, taste yeah. the sauce, taste whatever. And you're like, oh, and then you're like, uh, it's missing something or it's too much of something. And it's just like, Oh yeah, you know I put a little more cilantro in or whatever. Yeah, that's data input, right? Boom, boom, boom. So, and so let's let's what we're doing here a little bit is demystifying data, because a data and and I also want to say we're taking this scare out of data because that word data is a loaded word. Um, people say data and they think, oh, I'm sitting in front of my computer, I'm looking at spreadsheets, I'm crunching numbers. That's not the way I think. And, and, and perhaps even I led that people down the wrong path when I said, oh, data analysts tend to be left brain and creatives tend to be right. Is there any way that data can be right brain or is it, or it is what it is? No, I mean, the, my data colleagues, they they are they're unreal i mean they are left right brain and i think i think that's part of you know go watch mad men right and mad men is left brain and right brain and, and you know, it, and, you know it, but i say that for a reason because old school you know you were allowed to be left brain or right brain you could get away with that you could you know sit in your place and operate that way creatively emotionally and do it you know the other side it's like those days to me are over. I expect my data, my tech colleagues to be what they truly are, fully sentient human beings, very creative, very provocative, very challenging. And they expect me to understand at least enough to know what a fractional factorum is and how that works when we're looking at data. And I actually do know what that is. And you know what a correlational coefficient is? <laughs> I don't want to know what that is. Yeah, that's I, mean, I can understand it. I think I can 
imagine what that is, but right. the, you start getting to coefficients. And I'm like, I sh then I, I do shut down and I would run crying to my people uh, on the data side. So what do they show? I'm just curious. What do your data people show? They don't show you spreadsheets and, and do they, do, and, well, or do yeah, they? Sure. they they'll, they'll, I mean, not, not to the point where it's just an overwhelming glob of stuff, but sometimes they'll be like, look at this. Um, look at this. There's a, there's a, a great um, piece of work that um, an, an agency that I where I worked did, and it was about fantasy football, football and meaning soccer. It was done in the UK, and they were showing the data. And what they said was, you know, if you know the UK and London and in Britain, how passionate people are about their sports team, they will live and die on Chelsea and Man U and Crystal Palace and whatever. But all the data for the fantasy football leagues basically said that when it came down to picking the fantasy team, didn't matter, much like the US, right? You can be a lifelong Patriots fan, Niners fan, but when it comes to picking your fantasy team, you know, then it's real. So the campaign became, you know, it's not cheating when it's your dream team. And that was ripped from, we were talking and looking at the numbers. We were looking at what people's behavior was. And a bright soul said, you know, it's hilarious that, you know, we know from their zip codes, we know from the data, we can, you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, we know that someone's a Chelsea fan. We know it from all the data. So like, look at all these Chelsea people and they're not picking anybody from Chelsea for their fantasy team. Like everyone cheats. And that became the campaign. So you can measure behavior, right? You know, every, like you did, you talked about your, your, your dog, your animal feeding at 8 a.m. and at 5 p.m. That's a measured behavior. How do you, how does, how does that inspire them to, how does a behavioral data point inspire you? Can you give an example besides the dog, I guess? Yeah, I mean, you know, behavioral data, it, 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 you know, first of all, it's a challenge, right? You start by, is the data telling me something I already knew? Or, uh, you know, usually it's what data will do is it enhances what you knew or completely turns what you knew inside out. You're like, oh my gosh, I did not know. I did not know that most great cooks cook without recipes. I'm like, right. oh, okay. If that's a data point, I'd be like, yeah, you know, they might look at a book, but a lot of them just look at the picture and go, oh, yeah, I, I kind of get that. You know, or I'm, I'm making that up, but whatever it might be. But, you know, it starts by immediately provoking and challenging you, right? Uh -huh. And you talk about disruption. So the first thing good data does, unless, you know, if you're, if you're gifted and you're like, oh, it's exactly what we thought. But then if it's exactly what we thought, we're like, that's not gonna, going to be disruptive, right? And I'm like, okay, if that's what we all think, then the next question is, all right, is there anything in here that we didn't think about that might push us in a different direction? And that's, you look at a dove real beauty, right? Yeah. We know that people care about their appearance. We know people are often very um, insecure or challenged by their how the world sees them and what the world shows them beauty is. So yeah. we all know that. Yet somehow somebody said, but oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then, and they started, you know, provoking. And by the way, a lot of times what is provocative is going to get more data saying, here's what I need to know. I don't want to know what they already are looking at. I want to know what they wish they could be seeing. And maybe it's different body types. Maybe it's, you know, you know, you know diversity, equity, inclusion, right? Are we reflecting, you know, our audience in the work that we do? And, you know, and on, and you know, that opens up a whole other place to explore. 
But data, we might say, we need more data. This data is telling us all the things that we already know is truths, and it's not stimulating us to move in different directions. And you know, Dove and others, I'm sure that they have massive amounts of research to say, you know, more nuance about my audience. How do they respond when I show them this versus this? Then they have an original idea, that beautiful thing with the sketch artists they did where they, they, someone, they had a police sketch artist and a woman would say, here's how I think I look. And then they went to that person's friends and loved ones and had them describe the person. Then they show the person the two things. And as you might imagine, they are radically different. Well, two different sets of data inputs, but it takes you to an incredible emotion and a whole different place. And it makes a very good, you know, a very solid point, but that's where all of this can come together. But it came from truths about people, data about people, how they see themselves, how others see them. And then you, you know, move to that next level. I want to I wanna talk about how, how important data is becoming now into the actual creation and delivery of advertising. And I don't even like to say delivery, creative creation and delivery of customer experiences. Um, and I'm specifically referring to artificial intelligence and machine learning. In some ways, the creatives are being pulled out of the equation here. They're saying, well, this is a person, this person, you know, like if you look at programmatic advertising, this person reacted to this, so we're going to serve this piece of data, this this experience. Yeah, I mean, it, there there's a couple of things I would say to those who are listening. Things you should go look up. Um, there's a a thing that uh, Facebook Rutgers and the College of Charleston put together, and it's interesting. It's it's called the acronym is CAN, but the acronym actually stands for Creative adversarial networks. Now, first of all, when I read that, I about threw up. I was like, they <laughs> and then I actually, that's, that's straight out of academia, that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, of course it is. But yeah. the fact is, I'm like, wait, you're my adversary. And I, you know, I work with Facebook. So I talked to some folks there and I'm like, Hey, when did you become adversarial? And they're like, no, that's not what it means. It's AI. I'm like, yeah, I know. I read the, I read the damn paper, but I'm like, you know, that's not the most friendly convention you've outlined here. But when, and when you get into it, what, what in one study they did was they said, we're going to use AI and we're going to create original art. And we're going to do it by having the AI look at art. And then we're going to have the AI create art. And then they went to Art Basel in Miami and they showed it to human beings. And the human beings response to the work was was absolutely extraordinary. You know, it can you can debate what it means when you have humans look at art and what their score is, but the fact that an AI created art, AI created art, and it scored, if not number one, it scored, you know, as high as you know, human artists created art in visual structure. Was it communicative? Was it inspiring? Um, and you sit there and say, and my wife is a fine artist. So I, you know, I had her look at the pieces of the, that the AI designed. And I said, what do you think of these? She's like, oh, I like that. I like the, I like the brushstroke on this. I like the, how they've done this. That kind of reminds me of Rothko. And she, you know, and I said, uh, a machine created all that based on looking at lots of different art over the last, you know, how many years of modern art. And literally she had to pick her mouth up off the floor 
But do you feel threatened by that? As you know, you have you have worked your way up through the to through the ranks. You um, did you come through the art side or the copy side? Copy side. The copy um, side. So I'm do a good feel... little arts kid. So yeah. I mean, you know, I love film and photography, yeah. and so all you know. We'll talk about that for students later. All the things they should think about. But sure, uh, you know, I'm a writer. But the fact is, you know, I'm not. I, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a little threatening. You know, I've watched all the Terminator movies and, you know, I, you know, I watch out for the machines like everybody else. I'm like, I was watching the, the brilliant robot in the Olympics making three point and half court shots, like nobody's business. I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. Right. Um, and the fact that, you know, and Google has the Google dream project, everyone should go look it up. And, you know, I, I, we could talk about it endlessly, but the fact is, I, it, all it shows to me is, you know, when I go buy music, when I go buy art, um, you know, we all know that, you know, the drum machines, what, what drum machines have done to drummers, um, as far as, you know, where, where music goes. Um, but, you know, Kanye is still Kanye and he is a, you know, he's a lot of things, but he's also a genius. And I don't care what Kanye uses to get to what, you know, but I still need my interpreter. I still need my catalyst. I still need my disruptor. And I think creatives have, have it's going to go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. Either you're going to be a part of, you know, how that AI is used, how that programmatic is used. You're going to have a strong voice and you're going to make a reputation for how you use all the tools that are available to you. And the fact is the toolbox is bigger and smarter and faster, but you're either going to use it to your advantage the same way filmmakers, you know, embrace CGI, the whole Marvel filmmaking universe wouldn't happen without CGI. I'm a big comics fan and graphic novel fan. And we all waited for years to say, you know, for them really to be able to bring the stories to life without having it look fake. And, you know, and ridiculous. So suddenly, you know, the world explodes. Doesn't mean it's not about Stan Lee and the Russo brothers and Robert Downey Jr. And, you know, and, and Pickett, um, the Black Widow movie. You still need artists and artisans and all the stuff, but you start bringing in the tech and the AI. And, you know, I think it opens up more. The danger is in, in not less talented hands, the danger is someone could say, oh, okay, I'll just create my display advertising. You know, I'll just run a few headlines through a thing. I'll block it all together. I'll test for results. And yeah, they liked it more than the control. And I would argue like, are you really taking care of your brand at that point? And you are putting this work out to human beings. And there is authentic storytelling. Dove Real Beauty needs a lot of real humanity and real humans to be involved really good i just have one last question that i think is so valuable um what is the one one piece of advice that you would give to these students as they're um getting ready to go out into the world of uh, customer experience and, and advertising and creativity bring you to the table back in the olden days they always said you know dress for the job you want and understand the place you're going and you want to fit in And I think that's not it. I think what you want to do is bring you to the table. When you, wherever you go, bring you, whatever your outside interests are, your passions, your background, your experience, whatever it might be, bring your skill, bring your craft skills, bring your passion, 
but bring you because when you bring you in, that's what kicks open doors, kickstarts relationships, helps you find the right kind of mentor who will work for you. I want you. I want to hire you. I want to know, you know, whatever you're comfortable with, but bring you to the table. Don't bring what you think I want. Bring you. And which leads me to another thing when you're going out for that, you know, piece of advice and you're getting out in the world. I really dislike it when people say, oh, I got rejected for that job. They rejected me. Rejection, rejection. It's not rejection. Yeah. It's not. It's about a fit. I'm looking for things that I believe that I need. And sometimes I'm wrong and I meet somebody, but we're looking for a fit. We're just looking for a fit. No one's being rejected. We're just being somewhat pragmatic, somewhat maybe subjective, but we're, we're looking for a bunch of things that come together. But what we're not doing is ever saying, oh, you're not good enough. I'm rejecting you because you are insufficient. It, it, that is just the wrong headspace. What you want to do is bring yourself out there and wait for someone to you know, say, oh, gosh, I'm glad you walked in this room. This has been a stimulating conversation. I like how you roll. Let me ask you some questions. That's, that's what we're trying to get to. And it really makes a difference because in this business and like a lot of businesses, you have to have the ability to put yourself, your creativity, your heart, your soul, your passion out there. And guess what? People are going to give you a reaction and you have to be able to survive it. And you, so you do, you pour you out and you have to you know, sit there and say, Hey, it doesn't always work. We can do a good job to make it work. But you know, the goal is use everything, sell it, you know, and it's no different from selling yourself when you go out there. So in a sentence, bring you to the table. So I, I often tell when I teach in my copywriting to class that the most important word in advertising is you, and you've just given it a whole new meaning because it is, it is, it's you and you. Lincoln, thank you so much for your time. This is, this has been fantastic, really interesting. Um, and it just changed the way you look, changes the way I look at data in a fresher and more, um, I, I'm, you know, I, like I said earlier, I'm not scared of it anymore. <laughs> I, I hope no creative is. And, and I also want to say one, thank you for having me. I could do this all day. It's, you're, a, you're, just a, you're so wonderful to speak to. Oh, it's thank very, you. very inspiring well, and challenging. I love it. But I will also say anyone who's listening to it, Remember what this thing was talking about. We're talking about data and creativity. We can have a whole other purely creative discussion and go to some whole other places. This is, it's one aspect. Creatives are special. Creative is creative. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that more that people are still excited about that and they haven't given up on it because, you know, it's a, it's a great place to be. Well, we, well, now, well, now we got set up for, for the part deux. <laughs> Anytime, man. I, Really appreciate the time and thank you for having me. Thank you. This has been Conversations with the Creators, sponsored by St. John's University's Graduate Program in Integrated Advertising Communications. Special thanks to all who helped put together this podcast, including Professor Audrey Siegel Mavora, Kevin James, Professor Edrix Fontanilla, and our producer, Lucy Aquaro. Keep on ideating. <laughs>